Welcome to the sermon podcast for the Midtown Fellowship Granny White Congregation in Nashville, Tennessee. This fall, we are studying one of the most challenging and difficult to understand books of the whole Bible, Revelation. But what we will find as we study this book is that God is reframing our reality through what he teaches us in it. If you're in town and would like to join us in person, our services are at 8.30 and 10.30 on Sunday mornings at 3410 Granny White Pike, Nashville, Tennessee. I'm Dave. I'm not Gary, but they left a picture of Gary for me. In case you're confused, he and I do not look alike. Um, This guy's the pastor here. I'm the guy they find to come in when no one else wants to do it. So, no. Uh, I think they're all on men's retreat. Yes? Yeah. Yeah, men's retreat. Sorry. They'll come back refreshed and ready to re-enter with their families. Um, Every woman's like, they better. Uh, Don't you come home tired. Um, All right, so here we go. I'll take my gum out. Sorry. My mom would not be okay with that, all right? Have you guys ever gone on a trip? Every one of us has been on a trip, but have you ever had this experience where while you're on the trip... And it can, for me, it can happen like, I'm bad, but as soon as like I get there, the day of arrival, this experience can start to happen. But certainly by halfway through the trip, I start thinking about this is going to end. And have you ever had the experience where the anticipation of the ending kind of starts to slowly creep its way into the last few days of the trip and you actually ruin uh, or certainly dampen the experience that you're having on the trip or those last few days because what's about to happen, the ending uh, is kind of, it's made its way in uh, and it's soured. Has everybody had that experience? Yes. Have you had the opposite experience? We probably all have. Sorry, I'm like literally so tangled up. The opposite's true too, right? So you can, I had, I had some family in town this weekend. I, I've, that's a longer story. I can't go into that. But anyways, I have a half sister that I've found out about uh, five years ago. It's amazing. She's amazing. Her family's amazing. They came into town this weekend and just the sense like of knowing the anticipation, oh my goodness, they're coming in town, right? The same can happen in the opposite effect. The joy and the hope and the excitement um, can actually creep into the days that are leading up to that, right? And as a result, you can almost like borrow the joy from the future, right? Like, oh man, few more days, they're going to be here. I'm going to get to see them. I'm going to get to spend time with them. And so no matter what's going on in the day you're in, you're kind of like, okay, I can endure this. I can, I can kind of bear this, right? Because the hope of what's about to come is real. Now, that's an example. We've all had an experience of that, but I actually believe that Scripture would say that's kind of almost like a, like a law of gravity, almost like an inevitable principle of our lives, and it's this. <clears throat> what you believe about your future and what it holds, or maybe for our purposes this morning, who holds your future, uh, undoubtedly informs and affects how you live in the present. That's just a reality for us. What you believe about your future and what it holds informs and affects how you live in the present. One commentator studying this week said it this way, the present moment is seldom ever wholly just the present moment. 
right? You ever have a hard time, you might be having it right now, being present in church, right? Because you're thinking about everything that you experienced even getting here or what you have going on this afternoon, right? The present moment is often not just the present moment. It's never just the present moment. He said it always partakes of either the immediate past, the hour up into getting here, or the distant past, you know, or the immediate future or the distant future. So our past experiences or our present sense of what the future holds, it shapes our current lives, our activities, our perspectives. It informs everything. So it's pretty important, and I'm asking you to think about this today. If you don't think about it a lot, I think this passage would certainly encourage us to think about it a lot more. Uh, What do you believe ultimately about your ultimate future? Like, what do you believe your future holds? It's an important question. Paul dedicated an entire chapter of 1 Corinthians 15 to this question when talking about the resurrection from the dead. He's basically saying, if Jesus isn't raised from the dead, if there is no resurrection from the dead, if the dead are not raised, then you're still in your sins. And basically this, what we're doing here this morning is a giant waste of time if the resurrection isn't real. If Jesus wasn't raised from the dead and we cannot be raised from the dead, then basically this, he says this, eat, sleep, drink, for tomorrow you die. Get it in now, right? YOLO. Isn't that what that means? What does that mean? You only live once? No, you don't. I mean, you kind of do, actually. It just goes on into eternity, right? You only live once, right? Just eat, sleep, drink. Tomorrow you die. If that's what you believe about your future, that will affect everything you do in the present. So what is your sense of the future? What is your ultimate end? What is your security in what you believe about the future? Do you have anything that's sure? about the future? Do you spend any time focusing on it? Because in focusing on the future, whatever that is, you do bring that future reality into your present. And for the early church who was receiving this revelation, this was a powerful revelation. That's a historical fact that the people who received this revelation, who were facing persecution and things that none of us in this room will ever face, I don't think, I guess I can't say that without a guarantee, but we're not facing currently. I guess I can say that. This was not just kind of some pie in the sky thing for them. This gave them present tense power in the face of almost unimaginable suffering. And the suffering that they were going through, which was real, which was painful, which was excruciating, this vision, it literally put boundaries on their pain and said, yeah, this is real, this is hard, but this is not everything because what we're about to look and read today, this is ultimately everything. This is it, which was Revelation's whole purpose. It's the whole book's purpose, right? How do you frame your present reality in light of seeing reality through God's eyes? That's what, that's what Revelation's all about. Look at your life, your world through my eyes, through my reality, because human beings, we don't like hearing this. We're modern people. We like to think we can outsmart everything, right? Think it, think it out. But human beings, literally, we are airplanes. Have you ever been flying in the clouds, like looking out and the plane's going bumpity bump, 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 and you're like, man, I hope to God this thing's got a radar or somebody who knows how to fly this because literally most of life, doesn't it feel like we're in the, in the plane, in the clouds with limited view or no view at all and limited instrumentation. That's us. So I hope that there's somebody who can actually, and that's what Revelation does, it pulls me up out of the clouds, right? 
up to where I can get and see beyond what my present circumstances and say, look at things from my perspective. Let what I see shape your current reality because their current reality, if the future was based for the early church on what they were presently suffering, it would have been insufferable. So Jesus picks him up. He closes this revelation to John. He closes all of scripture because we're at the end of the Bible here. Summing up his accomplishment of redemption is saying, I want you to fix your eyes on the truth of these promises and this reality because if you don't, you will not survive. You will not certainly thrive in this life the way that I've designed you to thrive. So here we go. Revelation 21, one to seven. Keaton, who's Keaton? Keaton, Keaton, coming all the way from the back. Keaton, you're like me. You're running up here from the back. I'm kidding. (laughs) Keaton is going to read for us. Um, This is Revelation 21, one to seven. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. All right, let me pray for us. Lord, uh, teach us now. Holy Spirit, uh, would you show up? Would you, uh, maybe these words are not words that uh, we haven't even read before, uh, but would you make them come alive? Uh, And would you minister to our hearts in the places that we deeply need the comfort and assurance that they provide? Um, But may they not just comfort us, may they motivate us uh, in this life. Uh, May they set us free uh, to be the men and women uh, that you've called us to be. In your name, amen. So three things um, that we'll try to get through in the next 20 20 or so minutes uh, that this passage communicates to us uh, about our ultimate end. One, uh, the old order of things will pass away. So the old is out. Secondly, the new is to come. That's the second point. And then I want to spend a little bit of time talking about what what does the new look like in the now? Um, Because it's very easy to think we're just kind of waiting for this, Um, but there's some present day application. So the old is gone, the old is out, the new to come, and the new in the now. So the first promise, I say it that way intentionally, the promise of God is that the old order of things will pass away, Okay. He's communicating that there's a day when Christ returns, and when he does, he promises this because this word says is coming from the throne, right? So that means it's an authoritative word, right? I will authoritatively usher in an unending reality, an eternal reality, where the things that we are currently experiencing in this life, certain things 
will be completely and utterly finished. They will be, if you read and followed along there, a bunch of no mores. There will be no more of this. There will be no more of this. No more. Not reduced, not restrained, utterly extinguished, eliminated forevermore is what this is promising in this new heavens and new earth. And the first thing it promises, it says there, I saw the new heaven and the new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer what? Any sea, okay? Now before all of us beach lovers freak out, uh, remember this is apocalyptic literature, right? So uh, this is using metaphors and images and oftentimes stacking those metaphors and images to kind of awaken our imaginations to think about something, not necessarily a code book or to be taken literally. So when you and I think of sea, right, we think of umbrellas and drinks and drinks with umbrellas, right? They don't think about that. That's not what a first century person would have thought about. When they heard sea, a first century person would have thought of the sea as the penultimate place of utter chaos, okay? So we think of, yeah, 30A, and they think of 30,000 leagues under the sea, right, okay? Like sea monsters and leviathans and shipwrecks and drownings and deadliest catch, right? That's their version of the sea. Our version of the sea, you know, the worst thing that happens there is you can't get in because there's a little rip current. But if you've gotten caught in rip current, anybody? Yeah, no fun, right? I mean, you really feel small all of a sudden, even if you're a strong swimmer like I am, you get out there and you realize, oh my goodness, I'm out of my element. That's what the sea would have meant to them. So when he says there's no longer any sea, don't worry. If you love fishing, I'm sure that will be available to you. Uh, (laughs) It better be, right? The sea was a place of chaos. And so what it's saying is, is this, Uh, there's a day that's coming where the chaos of this world will be completely gone. Utterly and completely gone. Which, if you stop, I mean, that that is almost impossible to fathom, that reality, because, uh, you know, all you have to do is turn on the news. Um, All you have to do is walk out your front door. Some days you don't want to walk out your front door, right? Locally and globally, as much as we paint up the dumpster fire, this world is chaos, right? From Gaza to Edge Hill, it's chaos, right? Bombings and war and conflict and famines and shootings, right? And Jesus is promising there's a day that this is all gonna end. There will be no more of that. There will be no more sea. There will be no more crying. There will be no more mourning. There will be no more pain that, if you've if you're got a head on your shoulders this morning, that not only should be a profound hope to you, but it also should make you realize how wholly other what is about to happen in Christ is gonna be. Because so much of our lives, if you're honest with yourself, even if you avoid those situations that we see on the news, and I know many people in this room have not avoided those situations, Life is crying. Life is mourning, isn't it? Life is pain. I mean, I, I put a ladder up on a shelf the other day and I'm like literally like, what did I do? Did I play a full football game, right? Because just doing that motion now, I'm in pain the next morning, right? And that's, that's a 
that's a stupid illustration, but it's true. It's like everything hurts, right? It's Princess Bride, right? Wesley to Buttercup. What did he tell her? Life is what? Pain, your highness. Anybody else is trying to sell you something. But guess who said it before Wesley? Jesus. In John 16, when he says this, I promise you this, in this world, you will have trouble. Like we love claiming the promises of God. I don't hear a lot of people claiming that promise, but he made it. He promised you, you will have trouble. So if you're confused about that, you're not listening to the whole gospel. You are going to have trouble in this life, but take heart. You can actually take heart from me. I have overcome the world. I will definitively overcome it, but you're gonna have trouble. You're gonna have pain in this life, but guess what? This isn't everything. I'm gonna put a boundary on that with this vision because I'm guaranteeing by my trustworthy and true word from my throne, death and all of his friends, crying, mourning, sadness, pain, it is coming to an end. And not just physical, not just our physical deaths that we experience, but I'm talking about the daily deaths that you and I die. Because I bet if you slowed down enough, you'd realize you're dying so many every single day. The death of ideas that will never come to fruition. Those of you who are over 45 know what I'm talking about. Like, I'm never getting that back, that time back. The death of dreams, the death of relationships that have broken apart, even good relationships. I shared this, this feels a little vulnerable to say it. I didn't ask his permission, but my oldest son, uh, I love my oldest son dearly. He's a 16-year-old boy. You know what's hard to do with a 16-year-old boy? Get them to open up, right? To share. And here I am. I'm this guy who just so desperately wants to connect. And there's nothing wrong going on in the relationship. But it's like, I can't quite get there with you. And it's killing me to not get there with you. I'm dying on the inside because I want to connect. I want to be known. I want to know. And Jesus is saying there's going to be a day where that won't be. There will be no more pain, physical, relational, psychological, social, global, familial. No more pain. Why? Because Revelation 22, 4 says, because there's not going to be any more curse. There's going to be no more sin. There's not going to be no more, and this is, this is hard to fathom. You will have a day where you will not struggle with your sin anymore. If you're not struggling with your sin, that's a problem, but trust me, If you're struggling with your sin, you know the effects that your sin has on you. And he's saying there's gonna be a day you're gonna be set free from that, from the sin that you commit and the sin that has been done to you. What sin has done to you? On this day, the old will be out and the new will come. So let's talk about the new that's to come. This section doesn't speak about all of the things that we will experience in glory in like super detail, okay? I want you to think about it more. Who has seen any video of the sphere in Las Vegas? Has anybody been to the sphere? Okay, that's three for three, all right? Three services, that's like 700 people who haven't had this experience. I need one of you to go have the experience. No, does everybody know what the sphere is? It's this giant venue. It looks like a big eyeball sitting in the middle of the Vegas Strip. It's this $3 billion concert experiment, basically, 
with inside and outside is these huge LED projection screens, right? And what we're about to kind of dig into in the new that is to come, I want you to think about it like the sphere. Don't get in the sphere. You wouldn't get in the sphere and go, oh, wow, that little picture of that one bird up there on the top of the ceiling, I'm gonna focus in on that. The purpose of the sphere is literally to absolutely submerse you in an image, to envelop you in an experience, right? And that's what Revelation 21 and this new to come is doing. It's, it's casting this grand sphere vision over us and saying, I want literally this to swallow up all your imagination. Step on in. So what's the first new thing that they see? John sees this, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. A new heaven and a new earth. Now that would have sparked something in John's imagination or in the hearer of the day's imagination because that would have referenced, what do, where does the Bible begin? Genesis 1 and what does it say? In the beginning what? God created the heavens and the earth, right? Okay, so God created the heavens and the earth and he created them by his power, Scripture says, with wisdom, right? He created him by his word. He spoke it into existence by his authority. And he created it for us is what Genesis talks about. I've created this earth for you. I want you to subdue it, rule, multiply, create, right? This is the platform upon with which I want you to go to live out your image bearing. So go work in it. Heaven is not gonna be beach umbrella drinks. It's gonna be actual creative work where we live into our original purpose, right? And we'll wonder in relationship with him. So by God saying here, the, John seeing this new heavens and new earth, what he's saying here is this. Big picture, sphere. Um, I made you for earth. Most Christians are like, well, I'd go up to heaven, right? No, no, I made you for earth. I made you for earth and I have not given up on my plan. This Revelation 21, this is not my alternate plan. This is the accomplishment of my original plan. Yes, your original parents, Adam and Eve, fell into sin and all of humanity with them. Yes, all of creation, you and everything was completely fractured by sin immensely. And yes, because all of the promises of God are yes in Christ, Jesus said, I have will set out to redeem all of it and I will do everything necessary not only to deal with sin and death and all of his friends, but I am making all things new for you. The first new to come is a new heavens and a new earth. The second is a new Jerusalem. It says there, I saw the holy city of New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. Leave it to Revelation to talk about a city dressed in a dress, right? Think about that for a second. That should stop us and go, a city coming down out of heaven as a bride dressed for her husband. What is he saying there? What's God communicating to us with this, this image? Because Jerusalem, yes, it was a city, it was a place, and cities are places like Nashville is a place, but we would also say Nashville is, its, is what it is because of what? Who inhabits it? Us, right? The people, right? A city is not a city without people. And so this, this picture here is, is this, this place, yes, but also this people, ultimately those who have died in Christ, 
this giant family reunion wedding, because isn't that, and some people are like, I'm not sure I want that, right? Weddings can go a little sideways. Well, trust me, if your wedding went sideways, you got a good one coming. (laughs) You do, I promise. That's what this is saying. There's a day where a new place and the people, all the people who are in Christ are gonna be joined with those who have not died yet, right? They're gonna be caught up together like a bride on her wedding day. The marriage supper of the lamb is what scripture calls this, where Jesus the groom and the church, his bride are together. But it's kind of a unique picture because in those days and age, the groom, they'd be betrothed to the bride and then he'd leave. And for a period of time, he'd go and work on his house, like an extension of his father's house. Thank goodness that's not what we do now. I'm kidding, sorry. I'm just like, and then he'd go get the bride. (laughs) He'd go get the bride and bring her back, right? To live with his family. But that's, we got something different here, don't we? It's subtle, but it's important. He says this, I saw the holy city in New Jerusalem, the people in the place coming down out of heaven from God. Coming down from heaven from God. What is he saying? He's saying, I'm not, I'm not coming to take you away with me. I'm coming and bringing everything down to you. I'm coming for you. I'm coming to be with you. And I'm providing everything. I'm providing it all. What I'm preparing for you to be with you will be as though you are looking at the bride coming down the aisle. Which if you've been a part of a wedding, I'm probably everybody in here has been one, right? When the doors open, the bride comes in, What everybody stands and turns at the bride. But if you really want a good look at the bride, what do you look at? Yeah, yeah ultimately look at Jesus, but look at Look at the groom's face. You want to see how beautiful she is? Look at him. Because however good she looks, she's never going to look better than she looks in his eyes. So what is this new Jerusalem, this new city, this reunion, this family wedding? It's basically saying this, just like in a really healthy relationship where a bride and a groom lock eyes and you know, it doesn't matter who else is in the room. This is the fulfillment of my heart's desire, all of the longing, the weight of the glory that I was made for. It's happening. And Jesus is saying, that day is coming, y'all. That city, that new Jerusalem, that reunion, it's gonna happen. And I'm gonna fulfill all of your heart's desire to every last drop. So a new heavens and a new earth, a new Jerusalem, a new family reunion, a new wedding. And ultimately that is marked by what? Our new union with him. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place, place, place is now among the people. And he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be their God. That's the promise from Exodus 6. So it's not just a place and it's not just all the people in Christ that we'll get to see, it's being with him. And again, I know this is like really, really, really granular, but just go with me. He will dwell with them. Not they will live with him. The end game is not Jesus taking us away to be with him. Rather, he's coming down. You hear it? Coming down out of heaven from God. You could say it this way. Jesus isn't just coming back. He's coming down. Why is that important? Because that means you and I married up. That's what that's saying to us. So if you don't feel like you got it on the first go around, you're gonna get it in the second go around, okay? You will marry up. You have, if you're in Christ, you've already married up into a family 
with a groom that has real wealth and real means. But don't be confused. Every letter of the Bible is saying this. He lowered himself to make that happen. All on him. He made all the preparations and paid all the costs. Jesus marries down so you and I can marry up. And so for the first century person, the first century Jew, hearing this would have been like, what are you talking about? There's this new Jerusalem, and Revelation 22 talks about there's no more temple in the city. They would have been like, wait, there's no more temple? And actually, the experience is going to be more like being wed to God? Like a first century Jew couldn't even get close to God. They couldn't even say Yahweh's name. The only person who got to be close to the presence of God was the great high priest one day a year. On the day of atonement, he would go in and make sacrifices for sins. And all of a sudden, you're basically saying, it's not just for one person any, anymore, it's for all of us. There is no more holy of holies because the whole earth is wrapped in God's glory. And he's gonna be so close to me that he can actually wipe a tear from my eye. Think about that. I mean, this is like, I don't know if you guys were at the League's Cup final when Messi came into town. Did you see the kid that got to walk out with Messi? Did you see a video of him? He was literally like this. Like just like permanently like, oh my gosh. Messi's like, it's okay, I get it, I'm me, right? I mean, that's not even gonna compare. He's going to be that face-to-face. Whoever person you want to be face-to-face with, it is not like being face-to-face with Jesus. And he's going to be so close, he's going to wipe every tear from your eye. He's going to be that personally close, like a father or a mother to a child. You're going to see him face-to-face, and you won't have to be what Moses was, which was feared. I'm I'm afraid I cannot look at you face-to-face. In fact, that's what this is doing. He's literally picking their face up from their current circumstances. Say, look at me. Look at what I'm doing. So it's incredible. That's the new to come. But if you're like me, you go, okay, that's great. What about now? What about now? Like, is this just kind of like the infomercial infomercial on eternity, right? Like, put it in and play it every day, right? Get yourself pumped up. I just, I don't know how else to say it other than to say this. This, uh, this was more than inspirational to the early church. Like, we've all been given pep talks and then gone on out there and kind of forgotten everything we've said, you know, the coach has said and things like this. These people, this vision so captured their hearts and their minds that it changed how they went to their death. It's that powerful. So before we're quick to dismiss how practical it is for here and now, maybe just lean into that. That this changed their tomorrow, not just their future, but their next day. And they suffered in a completely different way with joy and hope. Because we're not called to be those who just kind of like, okay, I guess I'm waiting for this day to come. I'm just gonna kind of sit on my hands and keep to myself. Scripture is replete calling us to ready ourselves for this day. We can't, make it happen. We can't hasten it, but we can ready for it. And it actually, it, I mean, it's really powerful. This is saying this, but C.S. Lewis says as well. He says, if you read history, you'll find out that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought the most of the next. 
It's the exact opposite. If you're saying like, if I get so heavenly minded, I'll be earthly useless. That's just not possible. I've never in my life met a person who said, you know what? I just lost a whole day scrolling heaven's Instagram feed. Dreaming so much about heaven that I I lost track of time and did nothing for my family this week. I've never met a person who said that, including me. When I get heavenly minded, I get earthly busy in a completely different way. Lewis goes on to say, since Christians have largely ceased to think of the next world, they've become ineffective in this one. Aim at heaven, you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, you'll get neither. It's a stern warning. So what, what do we do? What do we do now? What's the now? The new, this future in the now. I'll try to say this somewhat quickly. Let me take one more drink. How do you begin to practice? Because just like a save the date, you know, you put it on your fridge, you've been given a save the date here if you're in Christ. So two things in the text that I think are important that help us practice the new and the now. First one is this. He tells John, after he says, I'm making everything new, he says, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. Write it down. Now, why would John been told to write it down? Come on. I'm sorry. Why would he tell him to write it down? Yeah, so you wouldn't forget it, right? Why do you write things down so you don't forget them? Does anybody have a dream journal? Does anybody in here keep a dream journal? All right, you guys should try it. It's pretty interesting. You ever have that experience where you have a dream? I'll wake up and, you know, kind of, stumbled to the sink and Emily's standing there and she obviously like, how did you sleep? And I'm like, man, I had crazy dreams. And she'd be like, what about? And I'll be like, well, there was some, uh, and then, uh, and have you ever had that? It's like, you can still kind of see part of it, but you can't even make a sentence to like, and like everything I'm trying to say to you makes no sense whatsoever. I think that's it. He's basically saying like, I get it. Like I'm showing you stuff that if you don't get this down right now, you're gonna not only forget it, you're not gonna be able to explain it. And I have not just given it to you for you. I've given it to you to give it away. That was Israel's great tendency was to forget, forget the Lord, to be their own God, to be their own savior. And as they did that, they turned out more like Babylon than the new Jerusalem, right? So when he says, write this down, write down this grand vision of the new heavens and the new earth, this new city, this new Jerusalem, where all the relational healing and societal health that you desire will become true. Basically he's saying this, the city that you want, John, us, the life that you want, the relationships that you were made for is not one with not only you at the center, it's not one that you can construct. It's only one that I can build and I can deliver. It's one where I'm at the center, where I'm an authority. That's what's true. That's what's trustworthy. Make this your truth. Write it down. Trust in my word. It's a a good question for us to wrestle with, but seriously, do you write it down? I mean, Scripture says he's written God's truth on our hearts Deuteronomy talked about this. Write it on the door frames of your home. Look at it often. You cannot look at this enough. 
It will shape how you live your lives. That's what Hebrews 11 talks about with the hall of faith and Abraham and Moses and David. It said they literally believed that they were looking for a city whose foundations were not their own, but were built by God. And so as a result, they made their home in the promised land like strangers and aliens. What is that saying? It's literally saying, I'm gonna live like I'm a citizen because I am a citizen of a different kingdom here in this foreign land. I'm gonna live Like that is true now. And how? Write it down. Write it down. Write it everywhere you can so it is what you are looking. It is what you are reading. What words, whose words are shaping your reality? Write it down. That's how we practice the new and the now. And then the second thing is this, give it away. So, uh, Jesus says here, behold, I'm making everything new. And he says, to the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the the spring of the water of life. Behold, I'm making everything new. Now, when we see a vision like this or hear about a vision like this, we can think about it completely in the future tense, but he's saying, I am making everything new. He doesn't say, I will make everything new one day. What he's communicating here, even by the verb tenses, is I've already started making everything new. We couldn't go and we won't go to all the places in scripture, but scripture says this, this new heavens, this new earth, this newness, it's actually already begun spiritually for us in Christ. Second Corinthians five says, we are already in Christ new creations. The old is gone, the new has come, which means, yes, I'm awaiting a new glorious body that is free from sin and free from decay, but I am not awaiting a new spirit. I have a new spirit. God's Holy Spirit that is already dwelling within me, Right? Scripture says that's a seal, it's a deposit, it's a guarantee of this day that is to come, but it's more than that. Scripture calls the Holy Spirit a water source, right? Scripture calls, Jesus calls his spirit a water source. John 7, he says, whoever believes in me, as Scripture said, rivers of living water, it's the same Greek words, zoe, the stream of living water that he's talking about here, zoe, will flow from within them. And Jesus says to the woman at the well, who's asking for this water that she'll never thirst again, he says, indeed, the water I give them will become a spring of water welling up into eternal zoe. What is it saying? Here's what it's saying, and this is why, not just write it down, but give it away. It means this. If you're in Christ, you have access right now to the water of life. You may not know that, but you are bottled water, okay? Right? You are heaven's allocation that has been distributed down right now. And guess what? You know what this thirst is all about. The thirst of the human heart. You know the answer to the chaos. You know how to come in and wipe tears right now and comfort with real truth Come alongside the mourners. Come alongside the broken, right? And you have something to offer because you are a wellspring of this water of life. I had a a youth group kid who was a Red Bull ambassador back in the day, Brad Falk. I don't know how he got this gig as a senior in high school, but he's a senior in high school and Red Bull hired him. And they were like, your only job is to give away as much Red Bull as possible. He's like, okay, right? And so he did. 
And literally, he would give away Red Bull. And as soon as he got done giving away Red Bull, guess what Red Bull would do? They'd give him a ton of more Red Bull and he would give it away more and more because they're basically like unlimited Red Bull. That's the picture. You can't give it away enough. Like you are a vessel that God is literally designed to continue to fill till it's spilling over, right? He says you have this treasure in jars of clay and it's actually, I challenge you to think about this, it's actually in the cracks. It's the places where we're broken, where we're crying, where we're in pain, where Jesus spills out. Most of us think church is a job where we're trying to get our jars all perfect. He doesn't want to do that. He's not going to do that. He's not going to perfect you this side of eternity. So yes, your sanctification is progressive, but those cracks are the place where Jesus comes out. And guess what? He's saying, let it go. I'll keep filling it. I'll keep filling it. I'll keep filling you. Because you have the Holy Spirit. This is the cocktail hour for the feast that is to come. And we are the vessels that are filled to be spilled again and again and again. I'll close with this. So I don't get to preach every week and everybody's like, that's probably a good thing. <laughs> Kidding. Seriously, I miss it. And here's one of the things I miss. I was, I was praying about this this week and I said, I spend time with the Lord throughout the week, but when you preach, you spend time with the Lord in a different way because you know you're giving it away. And I was praying about that and I was like, man, Lord, I kind of miss that. Like I miss the, the focus that comes with knowing that I'm gonna give this to people that you want to reveal something to me for me that I would feed on and then I would give it to other people. And I just, if you don't believe that the Lord speaks, he does. He said, you know that should be all of us, right? Like, yes, you're a pastor, but you and I are kingdom of priests. We spend time with the Lord not just to fill our lives up. We spend time with the Lord because he wants to fill us up because he wants to give it away through us. So would you, would you dare to believe that? Why, I dare you to try it. Give it away and watch how much you will taste from the well of your own salvation is what Isaiah says. Drink from the well of your own salvation by sharing it. Take a drink, take a drink. I'm gonna take a drink with you. So that's how we practice the new and the now. Write it down and church, give it away because the world is on a pain marathon right now. And we have the table of truth to give it to him, okay? Let me pray for us. Oh, Lord. Thank you for your word. Thank you for grabbing our face. Uh, so many days my face can just be down in the dirt uh, thinking that this is all there is. Thank you uh, for places like Revelation 21 and your word that lifts our face to the truth. Uh, I pray uh, that we would pick our eyes up uh, to see you there already enthroned more frequently, that uh, you would hasten the day of your return. Uh, but Lord, um, as those who will have trouble and who will suffer and that you said you don't want to take out of this world, uh, you've got us here for a reason. And I pray that we'd be those who would be so filled to the full uh, <clears throat> of this water of life, uh, that it would spill out on everyone around us um, into a world that is full of chaos, full of tears, uh, full of pain. Um, may we be full of you. In your name, amen.